voice hearing voice 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 hearing voice 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 this is hearing voices conversations with the voices that bring the excitement of college sports alive now here's your host the voice of your fighting tigers chris blair Hey, great to have you all back here for another week of uh, Hearing Voices. Hard to believe it's uh, we're coming into week zero. Uh, college football is here. Of course, LSU will get uh, underway in week one. Pretty big matchup. Florida State happens to take place inside the Superdome. Uh, excited this week because this is the first return guest to Hearing Voices. Had a chance to visit with him a couple of years ago. In fact, I, I want to say it was 19 uh, before uh, the pandemic, but uh, I'm not sure. My memory's not that good. But the fact that he agreed to come back on, I take as a good sign. You know him, you've heard him, you've seen him, you love him. Tom Hart, family of uh, the ESPN networks, of course, the SEC network, great all-around guy, and he's, uh, as I said, nice enough to come back for a second time and, and nice to take some time out of his busy schedule getting ready for football. Tom, it's uh, great to have you back on. I hope you've been doing well. Brother Blair, great to join you. Thank you for having the interest in inviting me back on a second time, and always a pleasure. You know, I, I wanted to make sure, first off, um, that you've got plenty of rest after uh, the trip you had, that long uh, work trip to the Bahamas uh, to cover Kentucky basketball uh, a couple of weeks ago. You, you've been able to, to get some rest after getting back? It was an arduous journey, and we all have our cross to bear. My boss was called and say, we need you to – go somewhere, I, I always say yes. Um, you know, sometimes that destination is the Bahamas. And and I was willing to take one for the team and, and go down there and spend some time in the surf and the sun on their beautiful golf courses and watch a little basketball. Yeah, that's I'm not sorry bad. you could. Yeah, no, I, f- I felt bad. I mean, I got to admit, I'm not even going to deny it. Pretty jelly uh, watching uh, you, the goose, Givens and and our buddy Tom Leach out there on the links one day. I saw you on the tee box. However, I, I never saw a follow up on social media as to who won that round. Any any chance you could share that with us? Sure. The most outstanding player of the nineteen seventy eight final four, the man who dropped forty one on Duke, Goose Givens, <laughs> the aforementioned star of uh, Kentucky basketball past, hits it a long way. He hits it pretty close to the pin, and those are two things that I do not do very well. So Goose took home the honors, I'm proud you know, to say. Yeah, I was going to say that was probably going to be my guess. Um, obviously, you were out there covering uh, Kentucky basketball. And real quick, you know, in, your, in that situation, because I had a chance to watch some of the games, and I know it was, uh, again, you, there, there were chances to talk uh, to Coach Cal. And, of course, Basketball being the the main story of that trip, and Kentucky fans obviously making the trip down there. They probably took over the island, but but something else happened to take the headlines while you guys were there. That uh, was off the off the court and off the field. Uh, the little uh, Twitter battle. Um, how, how how was that? Did you did you get a sense that fans there in the Bahamas that was that was kind of a big deal, or was it all just about basketball when uh, Coach Stoops and and Cal went back and forth? You know, it's very interesting the way you phrase that question, because I think to the fans in the Bahamas, they were so focused on enjoying the basketball, enjoy the trip, the vacation, the water park, the beach, the fishing charters, whatever they did outside of uh, attending the games. 
I think it was probably back of mind for them. But I know back to the rest of not just Kentucky fans, but slow part of the collegiate news calendar that that took over a lot of the headlines nationally. And people needed something to talk about. And it was it was juicy. Anytime a head basketball coach and a head football coach start sparring like that uh, and do it publicly and the athletic director gets involved, it makes for great drama. And and it certainly was. And that, that was the talk around the program, I think the fans were a little bit removed from it just because they're in paradise and they didn't want to be too distracted. Um, but it's a, it's a big story. You know, what Mark Stoops has built at Kentucky um, has, needs to be appreciated. And he was given the time by his athletic director to build, you know, a perennial 10 win postseason team and program. And that's um, that shouldn't be, Nobody should turn their nose up at that. That's hard to do in the SEC to take what that program was and build it to where it is. And let's also not forget that Kentucky is a basketball state, without a doubt. Their tradition and history uh, is such that that, that that state and their fans nationally, internationally clamor for success on the, on the basketball court. It did harken back to days of Adolph Rupp versus Bear Bryant. And, you know, famously for bonuses one year, Bear Bryant got a Cadillac and I think Adolph Rupp got like a, a coffee mug and I uh, probably switched that. Uh, Adolph Rupp got the Cadillac, Bear Bryant got a coffee mug and he said, I don't think football's going to work here. And he was off. Um, I, I think, Chris, the, the takeaway for me, this is a lesson to be learned in this new NIL era. And the new NIL era where funds are necessary um, to, to more so than just facilities, funds are necessary for personnel. And it's a zero-sum game. There are donors out there that have a finite number of uh, dollars that they're willing to spend. And there's competition between programs to see if they can get it in their program. And, and that's something that uh, I think a lot of schools have to pay attention to. Tom Hart from uh, the SEC Network, obviously ESPN, our guest this week on Hearing Voices. I kind of asked you that, um, kind of leading to this, and you mentioned it. I joked with you about being in the Bahamas. That's a tough gig to get. Um, but I think m most people would be interested to know how you receive your schedule for, say, the upcoming football season. Uh, how far in advance? How, how far yeah. out do you know where you're going? And I guess, uh, blame me, I, I don't know. Where are you going to be? Are you working week zero or are you coming out on no. week one? No, great question. And, and you know, even even friends and family want to know, um, hey, are you going to be, you know, such and such on October 21st? Or we've got this trip planned in, in November. Do you have that game? We have no idea that far out. Um, we have our schedule, our, our crew with Jordan Rogers and Cole Kublik have our schedule for the first two weeks. Um, so that's week one on a Thursday night, Ball State at Tennessee. And then uh, we'll hightail it down to Tuscaloosa, have Utah State, Alabama on that first Saturday night. And then week two, it'll be down in Death Valley for that great matchup with Southern. And um, by the way, I, that will be a halftime where I watch every single second. I won't be back in the press room having a hot dog. Um, and then then it's TBD. We'll find out sometimes when fans find out what time their game time is. You know, it might be Sunday night, uh, six days out. It may be two weeks out. But we're really a, a product of having to wait on first CBS to make their 330 pick and then 
the water kind of flows downhill from there. So luckily our group knows that when the game times are set and they're primetime games, 99% of the time, that's our game and there's no shuffling involved. Um, and there's no, no politics involved to try to talk your way into or out of a game. We love that primetime slot. We love being under the lights. We love being in SEC stadiums, no matter where we are for games that matter. And that's, it's exciting time of year, no matter who's on the schedule. Well, you mentioned halftime for that Southern LSU game, which will be must uh, must see. But I, I do want to invite you out because nobody tailgates better than LSU and the fans at Southern. And to put all of them together right here within uh, the confines of Tiger Stadium, I invite you and the and uh, Jordan and Cole to get out here early because the tailgating will be uh, second to none. The food will be incredible. Uh, Tom Hart again visiting with us, and, and Tom. We, you mentioned about how the scheduling comes. One of the things that you know has has arisen due to uh, the pandemic and, and the worldwide shutdown there in, in 2020 has been as we started to play games and get games back out there, obviously there's a need to, to televise those and, and also bring those on the radio. And obviously in 2020, a lot of us did remote broadcasting. We did the entire basketball season from right here in Baton Rouge for every game uh, that the Tigers played. Um, for, for you, the last, I'd say year or so, it's maybe more so with baseball and basketball. I'm not sure about football. Um, but are, are, is it still kind of this week we're sending you next week we're going to do it for home or is that simply just basketball and baseball? And then the second part is, do we see that continuing into 22 and 23? Great question. Um, Football-wise, we've been on the road nonstop. So we're at every stadium. Uh, we get to have meetings in person, knock on wood. There was still some uh, – we'd forgotten about this, but there's still some COVID protocols we had last year. For example, uh, we went to Kentucky, and we had to have a, our meeting with Mark Stoops and his coaching staff outside instead of inside their building, which was fine, and, and coaches were very amenable to that, and we were appreciative of coaches and sports information directors who, by the way, we, we can't survive without – um, you know, being flexible enough to, to work with us and, and our company on a lot of that. So uh, football, we're there. Um, and there may be some remote broadcasts this year, ESPN college football, but very, very few and, and none that would affect me or, and dare I say, none that affect the SEC, although um, don't hold me to that. Um, college basketball is a little bit different. College baseball is certainly different. And, what our bosses found during the pandemic is that a we have the technology to do it. Although I, I most most play-by-play people don't like it, to be quite frank. They have the technology to do it. They have the wherewithal to do it. And by the way, it saves the company a lot of money. And so, for example, we've had uh, bosses on the baseball side say, "Hey, listen, these are events where we we have a large volume of events. If we can save, you know." a percentage of money here and there that really adds up and we're going to continue to do that, which is, uh, you know, which is disappointing to those of us who love to be at the stadium. That's why I got into this business. I didn't want to sit in a cubicle. I didn't want to sit in a studio uh, with the, where the air conditioning's perfect and you, you clock out at 1030 and you go home. I wanted to be at the game and, and that's what I love doing. I love seeing people. I love spending time with coaches. I love learning players' stories and when you try to do that remotely, you, you add roadblocks. And um, just as we know that if I were sitting next to you at the desk right now, it would be a, a more 
free-flowing conversation than doing it over Zoom. It's just the way technology kind of inhibits our personal interactions. Um, luckily, I'm in a position where we will be there uh, in person all through football season, and I hope I hope the majority of my basketball games, if not the uh, super majority, I'll be able to be in the arenas. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And you mentioned that a lot of play-by-play guys, uh, you know, maybe not prefer – uh, doing it remotely. Again, you're relying on the technology. You're also relying on what you're seeing coming through the camera lens. I, I just thought, have you had a conversation with the other folks that you work with, the, the color analysts that you work with, about you know how they're so focused on what's happening, maybe more so between the lines and in the action, as opposed to somebody who's trying to describe what's going on in the arena, what the coaches are doing you know, on the sideline. Uh, do the color analysts feel the same way that, say, play-by-play guys do? That, well, I'm I'm watching the action. I'm breaking down film, basically. So it doesn't matter if I'm in my living room, my office, or if I'm courtside. Is it is it different from those guys, or do they feel the same way you do? Well, at the risk of sounding like I'm throwing shade, I think to the people that the job matters to, they want to be on site. They want, they know the value of spending time with coaches and, and trust me, we hear from coaches. They know the value of spending time with us and sharing their team stories and being able to promote their team. Uh, that's, that's really important. And the great coaches are elite at doing that and getting their message out there. And, and listen at the sec network, uh, we're partner, we're partner of the schools and we're certainly a, a partner of the conference. So that's part of our job. Um, the, the other, the biggest difference though, Chris, with, with analysts is, and I don't want to paint with a, with a broad brush, but to them, it's such a smaller sample size. I haven't worked with, um, trying to make sure I'm not wrong here. I haven't worked with a single analyst who does multiple sports, right? So football, for example, 14 games, maybe with bowl games, maybe 16 if you throw in a spring game. Basketball, they're doing one game or two games a week. Everything's new to them and everything's fresh. And the frustrations that we get by doing, we had by doing remote work gets compounded because the job becomes more and more difficult. Um, But they're really just focused on one single season. And I found that they were much more amenable and adaptable to it. I also want to point this out. Like there are benefits to it, right? I mean, I'm I'm in my kitchen right now and we did the whole football season from my basement. Uh, My wife had the best media meals I've ever had, both pregame and halftime. And And when the game was done, I hit quit on the Zoom and I'm in my own bed and there's no fighting through TSA lines. There's no, uh, you know, returning a rental car at five o'clock in the morning and the like. So there are some silver linings to those clouds. But I think I think it means more to the play by play guys, especially those of us who play by play through and through didn't come over from so hard at this craft. And we understand the value in the minutia, the value in the preparation, the value in the little things. Um, you know, it's not, it's not that different from a football coach who is insisting on someone's footwork being right. And the player goes, man, I can make it happen without great footwork. Yeah. But can you do it regularly? And you're doing it properly. Um, and, and those of us who take our job seriously want to still have fun, but take the craft seriously. Uh, there's no substitute for being on site. 
Well, again, if you're one of the uh, few that likes to take their sports in by television, then you obviously know our guest, Tom Hart, who is nice enough to join us again <laughs> here on Hearing Voices. Real quick, which ones? Uh, I know during the pandemic, I think it was the summer of 2020, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, that uh, from your home you were doing, I think, the Asian League baseball or maybe professional oh, yeah, baseball. Yeah, the Korean, to be specific, KBO, Korea Baseball Organization, um, I learned the first day I was on the job, I got up at 3 a.m. I was downstairs with a, a cup of coffee at about 3.40 after waking up. And uh, I think the game was supposed to start at 5. We got rained out in one location. And I said to the producer on the other line, I said, what does this mean? I can go back to bed now. He said, hold on, just give me one minute. Let me clarify some things. He came back 30 seconds later. He said, I got some good news and bad news. He goes, you can't go back to bed yet because we're doing another game in another location on the other side of the peninsula where it's not apparently raining as hard. And so then I had to scramble to get prepared for that game in about 30 minutes, find the lineups, put them in the book, try to work on pronunciations as best as I can. And then that game got rained out. I finally dumped my coffee in the kitchen sink. I went back to bed and I said, I can't believe that I'm getting up at three o'clock in the morning to call a game halfway around the world. But that's that's what we did. There were people out there that wanted to watch baseball and live sports. There were people that had a, a financial interest in it and, and wanted to put a couple bucks down and they're willing to watch whatever we, if we could have had competitive tiddlywinks, we would have put it on the air. Um, I, I will tell you one thing. I'm not a weatherman. I didn't go to school for that. I don't have meteorological seal, but I learned how to uh, read the storms coming off the bay west of uh, west, west of the Korean Peninsula. And I'd go to bed the night before. I, I never I never could be an early to bed guy, but I, I'd go to bed the night before and I'd check the radar. And I had a pretty good feel when I went to bed at 11 o'clock Eastern time, whether or not we were going to have a game the next morning at 5 o'clock Eastern time based on the uh, formations that were coming in off the Gulf. So if I took anything from that, uh, my weather reading skills drastically improved. Yeah, I was going to say, I think uh, I, I'm similar in a lot of ways. I can follow green, yellow, and red. So during baseball season, I, I have just this uh, app that will tell me, okay, it's yellow, we, we might be okay. Green, things are going to get uh, you know nasty, and then red, we're, uh, we'll bag it. So, uh, yeah, I'm an amateur meteorologist as well. It's kind of part of the deal. Which sport's hardest before I move on? Uh, remotely, um, again, when you're at the mercy. Uh, I had a chance. Didn't do baseball. We actually got to, by the time baseball came around, we were actually able to travel again. But basketball and football I have done remotely. For television, uh, I found it for radio it's very difficult because, again, I was at the mercy of one screen, one camera shot, and had no idea what was going on beyond the borders. Uh, but for you, I, I just imagine baseball is tough because when you're looking at the camera – and whether they got the center field cam or the, the high cam behind home plate, you know, when contact is made initially, doesn't it take a while to figure out, okay, is that one going eight rows into the seats? Uh, foul? Fair? Is it going to right field? How, how difficult is baseball, and which one's the toughest sport to do remotely? Yeah, I was going to say a moment ago, there's no better amateur meteorologist than a radio broadcaster, right? Because we, we all have the apps up, and we're trying to figure out – what the fill is going to be and if this game is going to go off on time. Um, you're, you nailed it. Baseball is the hardest thing. Uh, Basketball is easiest, right? Because generally you're following the action 
on the screen from the main game camera. There are times where you'd like to look at the opposite bench and see if the coach is, is having a stern word with the guy he just took out. Uh, but mostly the actions right in front of you. Football's similar, although you are reliant on that camera angle. And there's, uh, I, I look a lot of places other than where the ball is during a football game, at least peripherally, like you can do enough football games. You can see routes um, like good example. If a fan is just watching game next Saturday night and, and the running back leaves the backfield, you can see the wheel route developing. I mean, you, you see it coming and that route takes the running back off screen 99% of the time. So there's an intricacy for football, but baseball is very observational sport. And it's, it's not just where the ball is and pitcher versus batter. It's positioning of the fielders is, uh, is that a new guy coming out on deck? Is there movement in the bullpen? What are the which way are the flags pointing? Uh, what about those storm clouds beyond left field? Uh, there are a million computations that you do as a baseball broadcaster that have nothing to do with the bat off the ball, and then a million more when the bat meets the ball. So that can be that can be really hard. It was hard for me because the technology had us behind the play, a beat or two behind the play, and I was aware of that. As a broadcaster, and it was very frustrating. I had the, the uh, honor to do the Cardinals and Padres wildcard series in the fall of 20. And Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, and that great Cardinals team, and Yadier Molina. And when something big happens in baseball, it's not, um, you know, it's not a 60-yard punt return where you can kind of see it coming or a deep pass where you're waiting for the wide receiver to haul it in, but you basically know the outcome of the play. It's from Daniel Tatis, bang, gone. <laughs> and if you're a second and a half late like that, uh, on a play like that, it, it's it's really difficult as a broadcaster to be perfect. Um, and so you just have to kind of swallow your pride and say, you know, hey, I'm going to do the best I can. It's not going to sound right at home, but this is the position that I've been put in and the hands I've been dealt. So without a doubt, baseball is the hardest. No doubt. Uh, Tom Hart, our guest this week on Hearing Voices. And Tom, uh, I may be biased. He's one of the best, if not the best, in the business. And, you know, I I think we touched on this a little bit uh, in the the first time we got together. But for you, who were kind of the the influencers – that you said earlier, hey, I, I didn't want to work in a cubicle. I, I wanted to be in the stadiums. I wanted to be at games. But who were the professionals that, if I, if I knew those professionals and I knew them very well, that I sometimes could pick up listening to you call a game that I would say, aha, that had to be an influence. Again, nothing yeah. is original. You don't want to outright steal, but you can't help but be influenced by the people that you listen to, whether it be radio or television. Who were the guys that – you, I guess, tried to imitate early on to say, this is what I want to do because these guys I love. Yeah. I think that um, imitation is the wrong path to take. Right. I mean, we just lost Vince Scully. There's nobody better than Vince Scully. I love the way he called the game. I was so enamored by his storytelling and his timing, his ability to recall these stories or to find these stories uh, but I would never dare imitate him. And, and there are some very poor imitations of Scully out there. When you hear it, you can't help but think 
well, this is just a, a knockoff, right? It's like trying to buy a fancy watch on the corner of New York City. I, it, it might work for a minute, and then that thing's going to be wrong 23 hours out of the day. Um, so I would I would never imitate. But the guys whose presentation I liked uh, were, were guys like Brad Nessler and Sean McDonough. And, the, and they're still going strong, and those dudes are, are great. They, they're not screamers. They don't get overly excited. They save their best for when it matters, which is the end of the game. I, I always was taught that if you get overly excited in the first quarter or in the third inning and you peak, then you have nowhere to go in the bottom of the ninth inning or in the fourth quarter. So it, it should be a gradual build to the crescendo of the game, to the defining moment of the game. And then you can hit your high notes, so to speak. Uh, and I thought those guys have always been, and, and they prepare differently and they share stories differently, but this, uh, their persona of I'm at the game, especially Nestler has this, this, this aura of, man, wouldn't you love to be here right now? Like this is the coolest place any of us could be. And I'm lucky to be sitting in the booth, you know, obviously now typically an SEC booth, uh, watching these, these two great teams play. And it's less about delivering content and more about narrating the action. Uh, Vern was so good at that. And, and he's been a mentor of mine as well. And a guy who pick up the phone when I call or shoot me a text when he sees something. Um, so th those are all guys that I think did not overshadow the game, did not yell and scream and dominate the game. Um, they set up their partners really well. They give their partners room to call the game and to share their expertise. And they give the arena and the stadium room to shine, which, which I think is a lost art, especially in college football. Uh, but any sport, the, what we call in the industry, the layout, you, you don't need to, you don't need to keep talking over a hundred thousand people losing their minds. That's a time to shut up, let the cameras do the work and let everybody at home say, that's a place that I want to be. Yeah, well said. And, and you know, Brad Nessler, I mean, and, and both Sean McDonough, I mean, titans of the industry. But, you know, I, uh, Brad Nessler to me is kind of the – that's the and, – and you're right. You don't want to imitate. But I think taking stylistic uh, approaches, uh, the way you describe how Brad does it, is, is to a T. And that's why I think he is uh, one of the best and, and one of my favorites, along with Tom Hart uh, when, when calling a game. <laughs> Um, just uh, hey, can I share? Can I share a quick Vern story, real quick? Sure. Chris? So, so I've always looked up the Vern and had a chance to cross paths with him years ago when I was kind of on my way up and somehow got his number. So during the pandemic, uh, I'm calling Georgia and Kentucky, and it was a noon start, and Vern happened to be watching, probably back home in Colorado, and I got a text from him in the middle of the second quarter. And he said, I hate to bother you during the game. I just want to say you and your crew are doing an amazing job on this Georgia-Kentucky game. And I replied, thanks. And then I took a picture and I said, what do you think of my surroundings? And the picture I sent him was of uh, a monitor, a computer, and a dining room table at my spotter's house in suburban Atlanta doing the game remotely. Now I'm doing it remotely, but doing it from my buddy's house where I had to haul out. And there was no electricity at my house for three days. So you want to blow somebody's mind, get a compliment from Vern Lundquist, and then say, yeah, 
I'm doing it at my spotter's house, uh, sitting at his dining room table. That that blew his mind. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is quite amazing. The one game we called remotely, Tom, was uh, LSU-Missouri in 2020. Uh, we stayed back in Baton Rouge. And because we had to put the technology together, I was in our conference room in the administration building on the third floor. Doug Morrow, the, the great color analyst on the network, was in our studio up on the fifth floor. And Gordy Rush, who I know you love, uh, was yeah. in his office in downtown Baton Rouge. And, uh, again, we, we did our best to try to make people think we were in Missouri. The great people uh, at uh, Mizzou, your alma mater, were happy enough or nice enough to send us a, a raw effects feed. So, for all intents and purposes, everybody thought we were in uh, at Missouri in Columbia, and uh, we were literally in three different spots here in Baton Rouge. Technology, it is Chris, amazing. Chris, you probably – you probably know this story, but that loss by LSU that year could at least partially be blamed on remote broadcasts. Missouri had a big goal line stand at the end of that game, correct? Mm -hmm. Missouri coaching staff had LSU's calls because they picked them up on the audio from a previous game where no fans were in the stands. We previously, you couldn't pick up the calls. So every time they came to the line, Missouri in that goal line stand, Missouri was able to check and get in the right defense because of the audio that came over the television broadcast in the previous LSU game. Absolutely. That does not happen if you're playing in front of a full house in SEC play in a normal year. That's right. That's how that's how crazy that year was. And that's why I always look at 2020 as I think there'll always be an asterisk by it. And that's not me being demeaning. I, it was great we were able to play anything at all based on what was going on. But to me, it just it just wasn't college football. I got one minute left. Tom, uh, I had Peter Burns on a couple of weeks ago. I asked Peter, I said, hey, listening to all of the national folks, the SEC here in 2022 is Georgia and Alabama and everybody else is way back in the distance. I think this year is going to be exciting, and I think there's some really good matchups, and there could be some quote-unquote upsets. When you look at the SEC this year, does it really come down to two teams? Yes, but my caveat is that either one of those teams could lose on any given Saturday. I think the excellence of Alabama and Georgia set them apart over the course of an entire season, over the course of an entire conference season, and I think it's going to be really tough uh, for, for anybody else to replicate their excellence week in and week out. That doesn't mean that any either one of them couldn't lose any conference game. I mean, I, I think that people from uh, Mississippi State to South Carolina are going to be ultra dangerous. And, uh, you know, we learned when Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss and they knocked off Alabama consecutive years, you don't have to be a top 10, top five team to win those games. You just got to be better that particular day. Um, so I think that's I, – I share your excitement level. I think that's where it's going to be. And I think outside of uh, the division races, there's going to be incredible competition uh, from second all the way down. Tom, I appreciate it again, buddy. I, I, I know you're busy. Uh, we're all busy when we do what we do this time of year, but it's, uh, it's, it's great that we were able to get together again. It's always great to talk with you. And again, for all of you listening or watching, you can follow Tom, Tom underscore Hart, H-A-R-T. Uh, he's going to be on the air with, with Jordan Rogers, Cole Kubelik, and any chance you guys going to call another game from the sidelines, or, or was that a one-time experience? 
No, we'll we'll try it. We're trying to get a wait uh, wait for the right opportunity. Um, we're we're down for for trying a lot of new things. Anything that can get us and the fans closer to the game, we're all for it. All right. Well, we'll look for you in the booth, on the sidelines, or uh, or maybe from the very top of the stadium. Uh, Tom, again, thanks for joining us, man, and uh, hope to see. You, I guess coming up on the tenth, I'll stop by and say hello. Yeah. See you week two. Can't wait. Can't wait. Get down to Baton Rouge. Thanks, man. The great Tom Hart joining us this week on Hearing Voices. Uh, again, just great guy, great broadcaster, and uh, looking forward to, to hearing him on the television, you know, when I'm not listening to the radio. Coming up next week, we're really going to break down the matchup. Florida State and LSU will have the brand-new voice of the Seminoles. We'll introduce him to you next week right here on Hearing Voices. Thanks to Tom Hart. Thanks to our producer, Harrison Valentine. And again, as always, thank you for stopping by and taking, uh, spending some time with us. And until next week, this is Chris Blair still hearing voices.